Okay, good morning, brothers and sisters. Um, last week, uh, as Wilson, I can introduce and started our uh, series on the Bible in a summer dealing with creation. Now, last week, I t- took on more of a teacher's hat, and um, some of you may have noticed I had like one single verse in the entire sermon. Um, I'll make up for that a little bit this week. Um, <clears throat> Just a little bit, again, background for those who are new. Uh, my name is Ken. Um, I have a background in, uh, I shared a little bit about my background last uh, week with um, undergrad in physics, graduate work in theology, and then graduate work in theology and science. And um, went on afterwards to teach uh, both in a college and high school setting as well as doing youth pastor work. And, and I wanted to... Um, acknowledged last week, I forgot to, but I get another chance today that um, all of that would not have been possible without the support of my parents. Because, you know, that was a lot of school. That was a lot of tuition. Um, And then going on afterwards, youth pastor and teacher, that's not a lot of income. And so it would not have been possible without the support of my parents. I just want to acknowledge my parents who are actually here with us today. Uh, they're, They're in the back, so... All the work that they did. <laughs> All right. So we're talking about the creation, and um, and it's interesting to note that creation isn't just the beginning. Okay, that that the Bible creation actually marks both the beginning of Scripture as well as the end of Scripture. If you look in uh, Revelations, the last two chapters of Revelations is talking about the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. And so creation bookends both the beginning and the end of Scripture. And so it's and, and runs actually throughout uh, the Bible itself. So an understanding of creation is actually critical to our understanding of our purpose and our place within all things. Um, yesterday, I was reading Calvin and Hobbes, and I came across this one that was so appropriate for us. So Calvin's asking this question, okay, um, kind of the big question of why are we here? And Hobbes is giving some answers, you know, and, and they're, they're right answers. You know, Calvin asks, why do you suppose we're here? And Hobbes says, because we walked here. No, no, I mean here on earth, because earth can support life. No, I mean, why are we anywhere? Why do we exist? Because we were born. Calvin's like, forget it. I will, thank you. <laughs> and, and Hobbes' answers, while true, obviously aren't satisfying to Calvin. Calvin's looking for something that's deeper. That's, whereas Hobbes is kind of just giving answers that are just based on kind of our own scope or sphere of existence. Our, our life, if, if he's talking about, you know, from the moment that we're born to when we die, if that's all that encompasses our existence and meaning and purpose, that's not quite enough for, for what Calvin is, is asking. And so scripture is important for us because it gives us our origin and our purpose that extends, that is external to our own personal experience, our own personal um, scope and sphere of things. In the very first chapters of the Bible, we see the account of the genesis of all things. Genesis meaning origin. Not just the account of the creation of the universe, but also in the first few chapters, an account of how sin entered the earth, or entered the world through the fall of man. In the midst of this perfection that was Eden, 
man sinned and turned away from the holiness of God. Scripture is about then the redemptive story of how God chose to save his people. That's us here today, culminating in the sacrifice of his only begotten son on the cross as an atonement for our sin. And we will be exploring this, as Wilson said, throughout the scripture, through hitting these various points where of this redemptive story of what God did um, at these various points throughout the throughout the scripture. Now, I'd like to say here then, and hopefully I can flesh out today, this idea that this context of creation sets the stage for the significance of this crucifixion. Mostly, most of the time, we don't think that the two are related. Creation is just creation, and then the crucifixion is is the crucifixion. We don't celebrate those two um, events necessarily together. But I think that an understanding of creation, and especially of our Creator, can really help us to understand even more deeply the significance of what God did, what Jesus did on the cross for us at the moment of creation, or of his crucifixion. In Romans, Paul talks about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people. And he he talks about in verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And he makes this point about God's attributes being visible and clearly evident, even to those who are not believers, who are not Christians, um, but that God's attributes are clearly revealed through his creation, through what God has made, so that men are without excuse. When they act in the ways that are against what God commands, they are without excuse because they have this evidence before them of, of this God, this, this maker, um, the ruler of this universe. So it's this point about that being, we can know God through his creation runs throughout scripture. And when we're talking about, you know, Genesis and, and, and the fall and, and sin entering into this world, um, this just as a little aside here, a, a common question, and it's a fair question, is, is God the creator of, of evil? It's just, I mean, that can get into some really deep and, you know, great, interesting conversations, interesting to certain people. <laughs> um, but but it's a good question, okay? Because if God made everything, then is he also the author of evil? Did he create evil? And just as a very simple um, response or answer to that, um, one way I think that helps me to to understand or to, um, uh, to reconcile this is that um, I like this analogy that, that God did not create evil in the same sense that God did not create darkness. Okay. So this contrast between good and evil is similar uh, in, in substance to the contrast between light and darkness. Because darkness, if you think about it, it's not really a thing. Okay, You can't have like a dark light. You shine a dark light into the room and it makes things dark. Okay, yes, there's black lights, but that's that's different. Okay. Um, you know, you have you can have light. Or you can have the absence of light, and that's what we call darkness. Okay, so darkness is not a thing in itself, it's the absence of light. And so in a similar way, evil, you can think of it as not being an actual thing in itself, but rather evil is the absence of, of good. Okay, so God did not, God created good, 
but he gave man, he gave humans the ability, the freedom to choose to turn away from good, to not do the good, and whence that's what the evil is. When, the, when, when man turned away and did not do what was good, the good that God commanded, that's what we call evil. That's this where the sin um, came in. Okay, so just, just as a little aside, um, if, you, if you're interested in discussing more, we'd be glad to. I think Wilson enjoys these kind of conversations um, as well. <clears throat> My point today, though, is I want for us to consider what God has created and what it declares about our God. Um, Psalm 19 is one of my favorite uh, psalms in the Bible. Um, and the psalmist writes, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Okay. And you know, I really appreciate um, the work of ministries um, that, are, that are setting out to translate scripture to all the languages of the world. And they're getting close. They're getting closer um, with each day and with the missionaries. They're going out even to the remotest parts and translating scripture into the language of um, um, all the languages of the world. Um, and yet the psalmist makes this analogy where there is a universal language where, wherein we can see God or understand uh, God, and that is through the stars, through the heavens. Um, that's anywhere on this planet. You know, if you, get it, you have, if you have a view of the sky, you can actually see the stars. And they declare, the psalmist says that they declare the glory of God. Um, there is no speech or language or voice is not heard because it is evident from all places, all locations. Okay. Now, <clears throat> for those of us who kind of grew up in L.A., um, when we look up at the stars, it's not a very glorious sight. Okay. On a good day, it's clear. Um, from where I live, I can see maybe about like 10 stars. Um, and, you know, maybe... Uh, now, when I was growing up um, in, in high school, we actually lived in Taiwan. I went to high school in Taiwan. And one of the things I would enjoy doing when I had some free time in the library was just look through some of the astronomy magazines. You know, we had a subscription to astronomy magazine. And, and I would look through, and I would dream about getting my own telescope. Okay, Anyone, anyone have that similar idea? Anyone wanted to get a telescope? All right, yeah. One. <laughs> it's okay. Um, and, and I remember some, like a couple of years of just thinking about it and, you know, like what, what I would get and what I could do with it. Um, and then I finally realized that really it, it, it'd be a waste because I can't see anything from where I lived in Taiwan. Because of the light pollution similar to here in LA, there's just no way to really see the skies even with a, a, a good telescope. Um, now, if you have had the opportunity to kind of go out to where places where it's dark, you know, say like a Joshua Trees or Yosemite, and where you are able to see the skies in their splendor, it is a pretty remarkable sight. Um, you know, if you've seen the Milky Way galaxy, and these are various pictures taken that I just scoured the internet and found um, and stole without attribution, <laughs> um, that the Milky Way stretches across the sky, and you're looking at thousands and thousands of stars. And that, indeed, 
is a wondrous and glorious sight. And this is kind of the imagery um, that, um, you know, when the psalmist wrote uh, Psalm 19, the, the heavens declare the glory of God, this is a little bit closer to what uh, he was thinking about um, in terms of the glory of the heavens. But here's the thing. Um, even under the most perfect conditions here on earth, okay, we can only see at most about 3,000 stars with the unaided eye. It looks like a lot, but at most there's only about 3,000 that we can see with the unaided eye. And it isn't until later, much, much, much later, with the invention of telescopes and, and here today with the invention of you know, things like tools like the Hubble Space Telescope, that we're finally able to glimpse and see just how much stuff there is in this universe. As early as just a hundred, less than a hundred years ago, it was thought that our entire universe was basically our, our galaxy. Because that was the extent to what was visible through the best instruments at, um, available at the time. That, that the universe was seen as maybe a hundred billion so stars. You know, that's about the size of our own galaxy. Um, but as our instruments in, uh, developed, we were able to expand our understanding of the vastness of this universe that we live in. Um, and ultimately, it was the tool, the Hubble Space Telescope, just exponentially increased the sail and the size of the universe that we're aware of. Um, you may have seen some of these images taken by the Hubble Space Telescope of, um, you know, galaxies and stars and nebula uh, beyond imagination. And they're truly, if you visit, you know, just look up Hubble Space Telescope and Google Images, you'll see it's, you can spend hours just flipping through and seeing the beauty of all um, of these uh, stars and um, astronomical um, objects. But here's a sense where the one image that really helps us or can help us to understand the scale, the true scale of this universe that we live in, um, is something known as the Hubble Ultra Deep Field. And what this picture is, it was actually a collection of thousands upon thousands of images that the Hubble Space Telescope took of this tiny little spot in the sky. It spent weeks just collecting light from this tiny little spot in the sky and just gathering as all the photons that are coming out from this, the farthest away objects that were, um, that they can see and put them all together into this, this one image that's known as the Hubble Ultra Deep Field. And astronomers were just amazed by what this image showed. Okay, that I kind of zoomed in on, on this thing. Um, but just to get a sense of the, the scale of things, um, first of all, it was a pretty, it was a mind-boggling image. Just this one image alone contained over 10,000 individual galaxies. Uh, each of those little dots on there is not stars, they're individual galaxies with an average of about 100 billion stars each um, in, in this thing. And there are about 10,000 in this little one image alone. And just to get a sense of this, um, the size of this area or region where Hubble took this image from, um, it's kind of like comparable to looking through a straw that's about 10 feet long. So if you take a straw, it's 10 feet long, you look through it, and the little, you know, 
portion of the sky that you can see. That's kind of the scale that we have. Now, I don't have a 10-foot-long straw. Um, the another analogy that might help is if you're looking at, say, a dime from about 75 feet away. Okay, so this room is not 75 feet long, so I kind of had to rig things a little bit. Um, on both the front and the back uh, walls, I put a little red thing, dot. Okay, if you can see it, um, there's one right there, and there's another one that's in the back there. Okay, so, so kind of like if you're in the back of the room, you want to look at the one in front. If you're in the front of the room, you want to look at the one in back, just to get farther away. Now, you actually have to be a little farther away at the extremes of the room to get the sense of things. Okay, but that little dot, if you're looking at that dot from, say, the back of the room, that's a little close to the size of the image that we were looking at here. Okay. Um, <laughs> Maybe this little animation I just found might help a little bit. So this one, kind of you're zooming back out from, from the image. Um, so there's the whole the ultra deep field. And now we're going to zoom out just so you can see how tiny of a little section of sky that that actually encompasses. That's the moon to scale. OK. OK. And. And I just pause that there. You can barely see the little pixel that represents that spot. Now, if you imagine then how many of those images that it would take to cover the entire sky, how many of those little red dots that it would take to cover this entire wall, or actually, if you're thinking about it, I mean, it's, you have to think of a sphere all around. How many of those little dots would it take to cover that? And you multiply that picture of the Hubble Ultra Deep Field by the number of those dots that you take. And that will give you a little bit of a sense then of how large, how many stars, how many galaxies there are in this actual universe that we live in. Okay? It's, it's a mind-boggling number. It's something that we simply cannot comprehend. We cannot wrap our heads around how big and how vast that this universe is. Okay? And yet, God is this author. God is the creator of this entire universe. Um, this kind of just zooms in on a few of the little dots that you saw in the original Hubble Deep Field. Um, and again, showing the little, some of the details of the galaxies that we're looking at here. <clears throat> it wasn't as if they focused on an area that they knew was um, crowded. Okay, They were trying to find the area where that was the most empty part of the sky because they didn't want you know, some of the stars, nearby stars, to overwhelm that. So um, <clears throat> it truly gives you then a sense of, of awe of just how vast that this universe is that we, that we live in, okay? And the thing is that God created each and every one of these stars and galaxies. And it even says in the scripture that, um, that he knows each one of these stars and galaxies by name. He determines the number of the stars and calls each of them by name. As, as a teacher, um, I know the importance of, of names. Um, I know that as a teacher, it's important to be able to call my students by name just to help them to know that I recognize them, I acknowledge them, I know them. Um, unfortunately, I was horrible <laughs> with names. You know, when I had a class of, uh, you know, 
you know, say 130 students or so, sometimes it would take like a whole semester, or half a year before I could knew all of my students' names. Um, if those are teachers, you might can relate to this. Uh, the ones that I tended to know first were always the troublemakers, because <laughs> they're the ones that you're, of course, always calling on, and so you learn their names pretty quickly. Um, the funny thing is, uh, my wife is also a, a teacher for many years, and so when it came down to naming our own kids, we had the absolute hardest time, okay? Because we would all, when I proposed a name that I liked, she would say, no, that reminds me of this kid. <laughs> or, or if I had, if she had a name that she liked, and it was like, no, that, that I, I did not like that guy. <laughs> um, and so it, it took us a very long time before we finally came up with names that were uh, that we were both, you know, at least okay with, that we appreciated, okay? But names are important because names mean something, okay? We, we, always, we you know, if you're, when you're parents, you have those, the book of the names and what they mean. You're always looking, you know, make sure it's a name that, that means something good or, or, or maybe not. It depends on how you feel about the kid. Um, but the names are really important because the fact that you know someone by name, you identify them, you understand them, you acknowledge them. And so God, and it says that God knows all of these stars, all of this vast galaxy or universe of stars we have, that God knows each of them by name. Because God is greater than this universe, this glorious universe, as vast as it is, God is greater than this thing. God is, and we can put, I mean, if you can, Bigger is not quite the word, but it is the sense that this universe, no matter, despite how big it is, God is even bigger than this universe. And that, to me, is how, why, you know, things like, like this Hubble Space Telescope images and, and the things that we can see, the observations that we can make, you know, through science can help us to better understand and grasp when it talks about, you know, the heavens declaring the glory of God. In Psalm chapter 8, uh, the psalmist declares, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And truly, when we glimpse and view these pictures and get a sense of understanding of, of how vast this universe is, there are differing perspectives that you can take. And one perspective, um, kind of the, the, the atheistic or the negative perspective that you can take is that truly we are absolutely insignificant here in this universe. That, that you know, what is, you know, each one of us, not what's, what's our, what is our whole planet, but it's but like a little speck of dust in the vast ocean of, of this universe. Um, it can give you the sense that we are absolutely insignificant and, and, and that our lives, are, there is no purpose, our lives are meaningless because of how insignificant we are compared to the rest of this universe. Now, the psalmist kind of, you know, when you look at this passage, it, he, uh, he might share some of that, that consideration. When he's considering the heavens, and he writes, what is man that you are mindful of him? You know, and without God, 
we truly would be insignificant in this universe. When we comprehend the majesty of what God has created, our response is to marvel at the glory and majesty of the one who created it all. And but more, what's more, it should fill us with a sense of humility, not insignificance. Okay, I think there's, and I'll try to flesh that out a little bit, but a sense of humility and awe and worship. Okay? Because we serve the God who created this, this entire universe. We serve the one who, who made this. Um, and we believe that there is a purpose to what God has, um, has made. At the same time, when we look at this universe, the God who made the heavens and the earth knows, says that he knows each one, every one of us personally, down to the very last detail. Um, in Isaiah, um, it says that the Lord says, he who created you, he who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. Okay. The guy who knows each one of the countless gazillions of stars that are out there and knows each of those stars by name also says that he knows each and every one of us by name. He's not like some forgetful teacher who takes a long time to, to learn the names of, of his students. Um, and the Earth's population is about 7.3 billion people now, and we're just, you know, um, we're just one out of the 7 billion people. Um, you ever hear that statement, You're, you are absolutely unique, just like everyone else? <laughs> and sometimes it's really easy to feel insignificant, you know, even just in a room of people, like here today, it may feel easy to feel that you're insignificant, um, that, that no one else in here knows your name. Um, and because we're, you know, we're fallible people, we, we, we are forgetful, we don't um, remember everyone, we don't, aren't able to go and say hi to every single person that's here in this room. But please know, that you are not insignificant to God. That each one of us here in this room is known by name, by the maker of all things. <clears throat> Jesus said in, in, in Luke, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And Jesus says that even this this the little sparrows that are used for um, you know, the, the most, the cheapest offerings that, are, that is available, um, that God even considers them significant. How much more so does he consider each one of us? Um, God knows us such that he says that he knows, you know, can even count the very hairs on all of our heads. Um, that truly fills me with awe. And it also fills me with fear in some sense. And the fear comes from the fact that because <clears throat> God knows everything about us. God knows everything about me, even the deepest, darkest secrets that I have, the deepest sins that I, that I have, that I've done. All are flaws and imperfections. That God knows all of that. And I think the most miraculous or most amazing thing of all of this is that this God who knows each one of us intimately, more intimately than anyone can ever, 
ever know, including the worst things um, about us. Yet he also chose to give his only son for us. Greater love is no one than this, Jesus says, that he laid down his life for his friends. And so when we look at the crucifixion, when God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, as the atonement for our sins, we remember that this is also the God who made this universe. That this is the God who set all the stars in this vast universe, all the bajillions of stars and galaxies that are here in this universe. That God is the author and maker of all those things. And yet he is also the one who chose to hang on the cross for each one of us because he considered us significant, because he loved us so. That's what I mean when I think that the context of creation sets the stage for the significance of the crucifixion. It wasn't just any person, any man that was there, but the author of the universe that chose to die for you, for me, despite the fact that we did not deserve it, despite the fact of knowing how deeply flawed that we are and how far we've, we turned away from him. Truly, there is no deeper love than what God showed to us. And I hope that when we look at this creation and when we are filled with awe, you know, and we get out and are able to see the stars, you know, kind of from a nice dark place, or when we go up to the mountains and see the other stuff or the oceans or wherever, where we can get a glimpse of this creation that God has made, that we also remembered that this creator of all this majesty around us also died on the cross and chose to love us so and show his love to us in such a deep way. Let's pray. Lord, Emily, Father, we praise you. We're just so filled with awe that not only of this world, this universe that you created and the glory that it reveals about you, but also that we're filled with awe and humbleness and humility of, of your love for us and being willing to die on the cross for us. Help us to live our lives in ways that reflects this love that is so undeserved and yet, um, and yet you considered it significant. You considered each one of us meaningful that you chose to die for us. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus' name.